calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 86. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, as all of you regular listeners know, we here at the Drabblecast just love us some weird, creepy, badass animals. This week we're going to tell you about one that's probably the worst in all three of those categories. Special thanks to Stalin Says for posting this article in our discussion forums so that we could bring you Drabble News. They call it the Tongue Biter. But if you do your research in the Book of Revelations, you'll find that this little son of a bitch goes by a lot of names. The Tongue Biter is a little saltwater parasite that swims up through a fish's gills. It then proceeds to extract blood through the claws in its front three pairs of legs. As the parasite grows, less and less blood reach the fish's tongue, and eventually the organ atrophies. The parasite then replaces the tongue by attaching its own body to the muscles of the tongue stub, feeding off scraps of food that the fish then eats. The fish is able to use the parasite just like a normal tongue. It appears that the parasite does not cause any other damage to the host fish. You gotta see this one to believe it, people. Normally I wouldn't be freaked out by this thing. I would think it was badass, but where do you see it? The little grub looks like a roly-poly with a Pokemon's face, or a two-inch half-lobster, half-sheep. It's completely unsettling. It's the fourth isopod of the apocalypse. I gotta change the subject, I'm sorry. I can't go on. There's just something about this deceptively cute little tongue-stub-clutching abomination of nature. It has beady, lifeless little eyes and a perfectly round little cowled face. It's the god-emperor of Dune, and it's equally pretentious and terrifying. It looks kind of like an albino gelfling from Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, but instead of a little pan flute, it's got these crab-like legs, and instead of an adorably reluctant yet adventurous spirit, it's got this passion to climb inside your mouth and make your life freaking miserable. See, fish, they don't have hands, 
unless they're a coelacoac or missing link or what have you. So anyways, point being, fish can't do anything about this malevolent, bulbous, arthropod, muppet thing in their mouth. They just have to bite the bullet and feed the worm. Ugh. Anyways, check out the link in our show notes or hop into our discussion forums if you want to see the tongue biter. And maybe start a non-profit organization to lobby nature for a non-proliferation peace agreement when it comes to the sea creature evolutionary arms race. I'm serious. Species specialization is getting out of hand. Just ask Elephant. So, moving on. It's Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, more challenging than you may think. Try writing one and send it in to Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Allergies, written by Peter Wood. Ferdinand Hoyton was born sneezing. As a child, he sneezed. As a teenager, he wheezed. His eyes watered, and he sneezed. As an adult, he lived alone, hopped up on antihistamines. Even still, he had to replace his computer twice a year from all the snot and mucus he sprayed while working as an at-home claims processor. He didn't date. He'd had sex exactly three times, and paid for it. So when the stroke killed him during a sneezing fit, he was, actually, quite relieved. Until, that is, he emerged from the tunnel of light into heaven. And sneezed. Our feature story is called Half-Sneeze Johnny by Kurt Kirchmeier. Kurt lives and writes in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. His stories have been featured in Fictitious Force, Murky Depths, Shimmer, and elsewhere. Half-Sneeze Johnny originally appeared in issue number four of the wonderfully quirky print magazine, Kaleidotrope. Kurt's work has also appeared here on the Drabblecast, with episode 54, Unholy Fruit. For more information on Kurt, visit www.kurtkirchmeyer.com. So without further ado, Half-Sneeze Johnny by Kurt Kirchmeyer. I should be counting my blessings and my money both. But instead, here I am counting down the days till I can properly use my arm again. Don't feel fair sometimes. Don't seem right. I guess that's what greed will get a man. So here's how it all went down. Half-sneezed Johnny and me were down by the docks, sitting in a warehouse, closing out a sale. In front of us is a rickety old metal table, and beneath us two chairs to match. Johnny's Buick is parked off to the left, trunk full of stolen paintings. Nice paintings, the kind you'd find in a gallery. I know, because that's where we lifted them from. Sitting opposite us is three goons all clad in leather, two of whom we've dealt with before, Tokyo and Jed, both of them thin as reeds. The new guy, though, he's a big one. Wide as a bloody grizzly. But he's got himself a pleasant laugh and a ready smile, so I'm thinking he's probably all right. Goes by the name of Lynch. 
On the table is an open briefcase full of rows and rows of Ben Franklins, all staring up at the dusty rafters. Two hundred grand, just inches away from my fingertips. Needless to say, I'm glaring down at all that cash and thinking everything's just hunky-dory. And then suddenly Johnny wrinkles his nose, narrows his eyes at the new guy, and let's fire the squeakiest goddamn half-sneeze I ever heard. <coughs> Sounds like a whole truckload of chickadees being squished all at the same time. The boys across the table get a good old chuckle at Johnny's expense. But me? <laughs> I'm reaching down for the gun in my boot just as fast as I can. Because I know by that sneeze, the two of us is about to be had. <sighs> Allow me to explain. See, there's two things you need to know about half-sneeze Johnny. The first, he's got the sharpest damn instincts I ever saw. By that I mean he can sit down with a complete stranger and know within ten seconds flat whether the fella's trustworthy or not. Even if said fella ain't spoken a single damn word. Says he can't rightly explain how it is that he does it. Just that he gets this nervous feeling in his belly. I mean, if I believed in physics, which <laughs> I surely don't, I'd have to say old half-sneeze would probably qualify. Because in all the years I've known him, he ain't never been wrong about a man. Not once. The second thing is, Johnny ain't physically capable of fully executing a sneeze if he ain't comfortable in his surroundings. And by surroundings... I mean the people he's with. Oh sure, he'll sniff around like he's about to sneeze, but as soon as he tries to let loose with it, it just sort of veers off of him. Which means instead of the usual, achoo, out comes this high-pitched... <coughs> Says it started back in high school. His desk was smacking between two of the most popular girls in school both of whom had a habit of carrying on conversations right over top poor Johnny's head. Now seeing as how Johnny wasn't real popular himself back then, he sort of just shrank down as not be noticed by these girls, and most of the time he succeeded in doing just that. Then one particular day, when the girls are just yabbering away about boys, all of a sudden Johnny gets this feeling he's about to sneeze. Since he really don't like the thought of drawing attention to himself, he tries to snuff it out which don't exactly work out for them. Well now, these girls, they have themselves a giggle to end all giggles at the sound he makes. And poor Johnny ends up turning red as a bloody beat. Says it's been like that ever since. If he ain't comfortable, he can't sneeze proper to save his life. Kind of ironic, I guess, seeing as how on this occasion, a proper one would have the exact opposite effect truth is, we get lucky. Only thing I gotta worry about now is getting my damn pistol out before the gentleman across from me realizes I'm trying to get my damn pistol out. As it happens, I realize pretty quick. Thankfully, Johnny's quicker. No sooner do my fingers touch cold steel than old half-sneeze flips the table right over with his left hand and starts in blasting with his right. <laughs> By the time I get my first shot off, which ends up going way wide anyhow, all three of them are lying stone dead on the concrete floor. God damn, Johnny. God damn. 
The adrenaline ain't quite run its course yet, so I stand there hooting and hollering for a second. Meanwhile, Half-Sneeze calmly deposits the briefcase into the Buick beside the paintings. His back to me the whole time. It's here that I make my mistake. I don't actually do nothing. Don't really have time to. But I'm thinking it. Which is pretty much the same thing around Johnny when it comes right down to it. Thinking how much money is sitting right there in that car. And not only the money, but the paintings too, which I could sell to somebody else for 200 grand or so. Not us. Just me. It's amazing how fast greed can sneak up on a man. Pals for years, Johnny and me. And here I am, looking at the back of his head as though it were an invitation. <clears throat> I should have known better. I scarcely even contemplate the notion, and already he's sensing that something ain't right. He kind of freezes for a second, and I think to myself, Now or never, man. Now or never. Which brings us to another thing you should know about Half-Sneeze Johnny. He's got himself the quickest set of hands this side of Kleptoville. He spins around and takes aim so fast my jaw all but drops to the bloody floor. Next time I open my eyes, I'm lying on a hospital bed with my shoulder wrapped to the nines. (laughs) <laughs> there beside me on the plastic chair is good old half-sneeze Shaking his head like my daddy on report card day I ain't never been too good with words No apologies for that matter So I just lay there Do my best to look abashed Hoping it'll be enough I suppose it was Cause here we are three weeks later Old Half-Sneeze bought himself a fine piece of oceanfront property, the kind that faces out over a wide, white sand beach swarming with hourglass figures and two-piece bathing suits. Sunsets to die for, too. If it's okay for a grown man to go on about sunsets, I mean. Johnny's letting me stay in his spare room for the time being, which has itself a bed that folds down right from the damn wall. I've never seen anything like it. He ain't told me where my share of the bounty is yet. But then again, he ain't exactly sneezing quite right yet neither. So I guess that means I still got me a little ways to go. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't you love it when we put themes to our Drabblecast episodes? Sneezing can be good. Sneezing can be bad. Radioactive mutant badgers, though. Rarely a good thing. I'm talking about episode 81, Snuffles by Jamie Lackey. And if you haven't caught on yet, that was a really smooth segue into story feedback. This story got very little feedback. Yet the little feedback it did get seemed to indicate the story was well-received. Mr. Tweedy said, I like this story because it's exactly the sort of thing I would have made up to entertain myself as a wee lad. Forbidding arctic climate, over-the-top implausible premise, amoral characters with double motives, lots of carnage. Yep, this is what my imagination looked like when I was six, and some things haven't changed much since. Golden Rat said, 
I loved me some snuffles. Being a resident of a small town with a nuclear power plant, I'm always hoping some mutant creature comes sloshing out of the river, or some giant glowing gopher digs a cavern in my backyard. Snuffles will have to do for now. Rich Mazur said, Yep, this story was classic Drabblecast. I gotta give it to the author. When you sit down with a pen to write, the radioactive mutant badger muse doesn't always bite you. It worked. Bold Deceiver said, I know it was a silly story, but it took itself just a little too seriously, and I had a very hard time willingly suspending disbelief long enough to listen through to the end. Plutonium doesn't glow green, and the only mutations it might cause in an exposed badger would be numerous terminal malignant tumors. And our idealist-turned-nuclear-material smuggler was such a completely ridiculous character that I almost forgot about the bad science. This read like a 1960s B-movie, minus the campy fun. The next week, we ran Thane Thompson's Talking Gun Story, an overgrown clump of narcissists, which garnered a lot more listener response, and also a lot of praise. Warning, this feedback does contain spoilers, if you haven't heard the story yet. Hello Stephanie said, Talk about dark humor. I actually really enjoyed this story. It was strange, emotional, and I didn't see the end coming. I'm not sure what I expected for the ending, but it wasn't that. I wondered whose idea it was to pull that off, the narrators or Niners? Jonathan C.G. said, My compliments to the author, and to Drabblecast. This tale was awesome, and I for one was surprised by the ending. I like dark humor, especially with a protagonist that we can kind of relate to. Andy D. 273 said, I'm trying to figure out how this is supposed to be a surprise ending. It may just be that I'm a bit twisted, or maybe I listened to too many stories of this type, but I figured him killing everyone was a foregone conclusion, and was waiting to see the end to see if there would be a real surprise ending. I think poison in the green bean casserole would have been a real unexpected twist. Really hope that it's just a fluke and not a sign of the Drabblecast becoming predictable. Well, I think a lot of our listeners expect twist endings from our stories, and that's probably because maybe we do run a good bit of stories that have big twist endings, although I'd argue we've been doing less and less of those lately. It's hard to write a good story with a good twist, so I get excited when I come across one that not only stands out on its own, but also has a twist that doesn't seem cheap or contrived. Also, twist endings are far more prevalent in flash fiction than longer works, and us being a flash fiction podcast, well, you catch my drift. Either way, I'm not too worried about us becoming predictable. Next week, you might get a story about a giant radioactive mutant badger, or you might get a Chinese fable. You might get a hard sci-fi piece or a spooky horror piece. Wait, next week is Halloween. Yeah, scratch that. You're going to get a spooky horror piece. But hey, we're going to rock that shit. I mean, Halloween is the Drabblecast of holidays. Strange and fun. Don't miss it. That's all for this week. If you enjoyed today's story, you might consider donating via our PayPal buttons on the website, drabblecast.org. You can use your PayPal account or your credit card to either donate once or subscribe for a measly five bucks a month. And your support is vital to our success. We really do appreciate anything you can give. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it all you like. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you of Revelations chapter 8, verse 6. When single shines the triple sun, what was sundered and undone, shall behold the two made one by Gelfling hand, or else by none. An hour ago this place was loaded A noise filled the room like the smoke And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke 
Yes, words are all splurred when sloke. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.